Welcome to the Desperation Podcast with Pastor David Martin and the second installment of What's Love Got to Do With It. Good evening and happy Valentine's Day to you guys. We are in for such a cool night, man. I, um, man, I just, I'm so excited about how God is going to use these random notes. You didn't know who you were writing them to. And it's going to change a life. Seriously, I cannot wait to hear the stories of how I'm going to have students going up to me saying, David, I cannot believe that this person, this random person wrote this. This is exactly what I needed. That's the beauty of the Holy Spirit when he works within the body because he uses one another to encourage one another. And so, man, welcome back to DSM. Week two, yeah, of what love has got to do with it. We're going to find out some more about what that means tonight. And by the way, I listen back to the podcast every single week because I always just want to be a better preacher. I want to be a better communicator. And last week I made a comment. I was like, either you're really bored or you're really convicted. But when I listened back to it, you guys were cheering, you were amening me, and so I want to apologize. Somehow my ego did not hear those things last week, so maybe that was a good thing. If you're new here, I just want to let you know you have a very random person for a youth pastor, and I am not normal, and I'm not wired right, but I love Jesus. And so uh, with that said, I want to let you know you have freedom to preach back at me tonight, okay? Um, I have a lot to share with you, as always, and never enough time. But last week we talked about compassion. How many of y'all were here last week? Let me just see a show of hands or a woo. Can we get a woo? A Valentine's Day woo? Excellent. So we talked about compassion, but my point was this. Being compassionate, it starts with being aware of the needs around you. Compassion is not going, oh, that's really too bad. Sucks to be you. No, that's not what compassion is. Compassion is being aware of the needs around you. And what we discovered in Scripture, for those of us who want to feel near to God, actually Scripture says in Isaiah that if you go to where brokenness and pain is, that's where you're going to feel the most closest to God because that's who God is chasing after and wants to make a difference through you and in you. So if you want to feel close to God, start loving people who are unlovable and don't have a lot to give back to you. That was last week. Yeah. And so last week we talked about that it's a sin to know what to do is right and not do it. And so what I was sharing is that we became aware of a need as a youth group. And what we found is that over 800 moms across the city tonight, as the temperatures drop below freezing, they're going to be in their cars and trying to find a safe parking lot so they and their children can sleep. The prayer is, is that they will stay warm enough. And, and the idea was that, you know, we're so used to having access to, to resources. But the thing is, is many of these mothers can't even start their cars and let them run and keep the heat on in the middle of the night because they need that gas to get to work and take their kids to school the next morning. So they're sleeping in cold, dark parking lots, praying that something doesn't attack them or have bad motives. And so we go, man, as God's children, we have access to the full treasure of the kingdom. God is not broke. He doesn't work on a budget. God spends lavishly. He does not budget his resources like Dave Ramsey would want him to. God just gives and gives and gives and gives so that not so that we can take and take and take and take so that we can have and be blessed and be able to bless others. And last week, I'm so proud of you guys, unannounced, we just hit you with a goal. And we're like, we want to raise $32,500. And last week, you guys were able to raise like on the spot 500 bucks out of your pockets, man. And that is amazing. 
So we got $32,000 to go, and by God's grace, we're going to make that happen. And so we're going to, through this whole series called What's Love Got to Do With It, has got to do with serving and loving and reaching out to people and blessing them, man. We also talked about the fact that love is a verb. Everybody say it's a verb. Love does. Love is, but love, real love does. And so God is love. And if God is love and he lives within us, then what are we? Our identity is marked by the love of Jesus. We should be the most loving people on planet Earth. You know what I'm saying? So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get right into it, because tonight we are going to be talking about our identity in light of what it is that Jesus has done for us. So, Father, testify to your word. Be glorified, Jesus. And I pray, God... Apart from you, I can't do anything. But, Lord, I am praying for the supernatural revelation, God, of these students that are in here that they would know and discover who they truly are in you. And I cannot put that into words. It's only going to be by your Holy Spirit speaking through your word tonight, testifying to the truth of who they are. But, Father, may they know who they are and be so empowered by that truth that they would walk out of here free and liberated and, and just, just empowered to walk as sons and daughters of the most high God. In the name of Jesus, I ask these things. Amen. So I haven't shared this with you guys because I hadn't thought about this in a while. But back in the day when I was like 7th or 8th grade, I discovered heavy metal. Okay, I'm a children, I'm a child of the 80s. Yes. And so I, <laughs> yes, I just threw up that in a youth group. Okay, great. Um, but around 7th or 8th grade, I was full of testosterone and I didn't know what to do with my energy. And so I just got into aggressive music. So I was listening to Dokken and I was listening to Rat. And you don't know anything about these bands. Um, so I'm listening to these bands. And, and so what I started doing is someone, actually I stole them from my friend. It was a pair of drumsticks. I'm telling you, I was a bad kid. I stole a pair of drumsticks from him, and I never gave them back. And I would sit in my room. I would shut the door. Instead of doing homework, this will answer some questions for you. I would turn up my music all the way, and I would sit on the edge of my bed. I'm not even joking. This is so embarrassing. I would sit on the edge of my bed and just begin to play air drums. And I would go to another place, guys. I was no longer in my room. I was in front of 10,000 fans screaming for the cute drummer behind the kit. And it was all women. Only women, good-looking women would come to see me play. These are the, the twisted thoughts of a seventh-grade boy. So realistic. But I had these dreams. Well... I actually started realizing that I had a little bit of an aptitude to play drums, and so I begged my mom to buy me a drum kit. And I was just hammering her every day. And my mom, please let me buy a drum kit. I want a drum kit so bad. Please. So she's like, fine. So she finally broke down. We went to this music store. I bought this used drum kit, and I set it up in the garage. And man, I was in heaven, and I made so much noise. And the first night I started playing in our garage, the cops got called for noise ordinance, and I became first name basis relationships with the cops because I was constantly getting the cops called on me for being too loud. All that to say, the girl that lived behind me, her name was Dawn. Her boyfriend was a guitar player. She heard me play because the whole neighborhood would hear me play drums. And she's like, she came over, she's like, Dave, my boyfriend is a guitar player and he's looking for a drummer. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And so we got together, we went into the garage, and now there's a full band that is equally in proportion to how loud I am. 
and the entire half state of Texas can now hear our band, and we weren't that good. And so we started playing, and so my friend James, the lead singer, he's like, dude, I got us a gig, and we're like, no, shut up. He's like, yeah, it's a spring break pool party, and we're going to be the band. And I'm like, yes. So I'll never forget it, March 16th, 1987, children. Your youth pastor, 16 years old. I, we went in this raggedy van. We were so hyper and excited to play this gig. We got to the pool, the backyard, around 2 o'clock. You know, it's just beautiful day outside. We got set up, and we were just ready to rock. But the party wasn't until like 7.30, 8 o'clock. We played the six songs that we knew probably five times in a row because we just had all this energy. We were ready to go. Here's what happened. We have the little stage lights. The sun is starting to set. There's people there to hear, they actually weren't, they weren't here to hear us, but they were there hanging out, and all of a sudden, time to count the song off. My heart was going a thousand beats a minute, I was all, one, two, three, right, and we get into it. Guys, the fantasy came to life, and I'm there, and I'm beating the living daylights out of these drums, and everybody is rocking, and all of a sudden, the people that were there, these other teenagers started coming around the pool, we're on the other side, and they start getting into it, and they liked it so much, they wanted us to play the last song like two or three times, and it was just like this most amazing thing, but here's what happened. I didn't expect this part. I thought it was just a fantasy, but I got done with the gig, and somehow, up until this point, this has never happened to me before. Like five or six really, really good-looking chicks came over to me. Yes, this is a, we shouldn't be probably applauding that, but that's what happened. Because you know what's, you know the little scared teenage punk inside. That's what you're applauding for, the underdog. It's like it's happening. They came over, but I was so stupid. They came over, and I'm like, these, these chicks want to talk to me? And I immediately became someone else. I was just like, I'm a rock star, right? And so they're like, oh, you're such a good drummer. Oh, my God, and all the rest of the stuff. And I'm like, this is absolutely amazing. One of the, this is, this is the stupid part of the story. One of them said, can I have your autograph? And I was like, absolutely. You get a Sharpie marker, and I will sign whatever. And so she's like, she brings back the Sharpie marker. Guys, I'm such an idiot. I was so high on this moment. I had a drum kit with two cymbals. I took my ride cymbal off and went, all right, here you go, baby. Here you go. Best of luck. Love you. Mean it. I give her my cymbal like I was really somebody. Guys, I'd played it in a backyard, okay? She goes, oh, that's so sweet. I'll hang it up in my room. I'm like, yeah, that's right. It's going to be worth something someday. Well, clearly it's not. I get back to normal life the next day, and I set up my drum kit to practice, and I realized I now have one cymbal on my drum kit. It was, like, so stupid. I share this with you because here's a picture of me in that band. So I'm in the middle there. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> I share that with you for two reasons. The number one, it's proof that that was my band. But the second thing is I did, in fact, at some point have hair. So there you go. So there's your youth pastor, 16 years old. And uh, yeah. Good times, good times. Why do I share this with you? Because from that moment forward, every time I would have a conversation with somebody, it would revolve around this identity that I was trying to create. I was try I, if you talk to me, I never said I was a Christian. I never said any. I said I'm a drummer in a heavy metal band. That's who I am. And I share this with you guys because you're at the perfect moment in your lives where you're trying to figure out what you're about and who you are.
And what are you going to be? And so we begin to shape these identities based upon what we think other people want to see within us so that we will be likable. But we're also just trying to figure out what we're about. And so, so often in the season of your life, though, I see too many students kind of get off the path that God has for them because they don't understand first who their identity is really in. As Christ followers, we, our identity is Jesus and that's it. And it expresses itself through different ways. You could be a doctor, lawyer, you could be a heavy metal drummer, whatever those things are. But if we put the cart before the horse and say, no, I'm a youth pastor, that's wrong. I'm not a youth pastor. I'm a son of God. That's it. Because there will be a day when I will no longer be a youth pastor. There will be a day when I'm no longer here on this planet And it won't matter what my resume is. It won't matter what my GPA is, thank the Lord Jesus. It won't matter. None of those things will matter. All that will matter is that I'll stand before Jesus and go, I'm a co-heir with Christ. And all that I've been given is because he's given it to me because he's in me. And when God looks at me, he says, I see Jesus. And that's it. That's it. Everybody say, that's it. I see too many students, they wind up living someone else's story instead of their own. And I don't want you guys to get ripped off. So I want to open this up a little bit with you. And let's talk about identity tonight because how you see yourself will determine the path that you take, guys. If you see yourself and you always see, when you look in the mirror, you say, I see a loser. I see someone who can't get it right. I see someone who's fake. I don't like the person that I see. I don't like the person. I don't like the way I look. I don't like these things. Guys, you will make decisions to fill in those gaps that you feel you don't have. And many times the enemy is all too ready to put out a silver platter and say, if you want to feel like you're somebody and you want to feel like this life has meaning, just take, here, you can take any one of these 12 things and it will satisfy you and it will make you lovable, likable, successful, known, appreciated, and celebrated. But the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And if he can distort your identity and how you see yourself and how God sees you, You're going to spend an entire life chasing something you're never, ever going to find. But I've got good news. Everybody say good news. You see, it's important for you to know who you are in light of who God says you are. I'll say that again. It's important for you to know who you are in light of who God says you are. Let me paint this picture for you. This is a big, big deal. It's bigger than what you realize, and here's why. How many of y'all believe in Jesus? All right, most of us in here, that's great. And if you don't, I'm so glad that you're seriously here. I'm thankful. Because hopefully by the end of this night, you'll realize that Jesus really loves you. Because he does. And he's got a plan for your life. But here's the thing. Imagine what Jesus has done for you, right? He is, he's changed the course of your entire destiny. You understand that. Like his blood has liberated you so that you, when you die, you can live forever in the perfect presence of God for all of eternity. With no pain, no suffering, no nothing, nothing but Jesus and his life and his goodness and his presence all the time, right? It's a big deal. But what if you went to high school with Jesus? Like today. Like you're like, David, it's the craziest thing. I guess he's got to go somewhere. But at DCC, Jesus goes to high school here. Imagine he goes to your high school. And scripture says that he was fully man, fully God, but Jesus learned obedience through his suffering. And so he had to work through and tempted in every way, scripture says. So the things that you're struggling with as a teenager, Jesus was in fact at some point a teenager. And he had to work through the things that you're struggling with now. 
So he can identify with your weakness and where you're standing right now in your life. But imagine you meet, you're interacting with Jesus as a teenager. And maybe for a second, he walks into the cafeteria, and he's got his tray of food, and he's looking around, and you know how all the tables are kind of segregated, right? You don't mean to, but that's just kind of how it works out. You got the band nerds here, who I love. You got the theater kids. You got the jocks. You got the, the stoners. You got the whatevers, right? And so you're like, Dave, I sit at, I sit at that table. No, you better not. Um, so here's the thing. So Jesus is standing here. He's got a decision to make. And maybe Jesus, because he stands out and, he, and he's, you know, he's like standing there going, which table am I going to sit at? Maybe Jesus would feel the temptation to sit by himself yet again at a table. And he can't identify with it because he, he knows his identity. But what if he goes, I know I'm supposed to be the savior of the world, but I'm a sophomore. That's a lot of pressure. Man, I'm just tired of this. I don't want to save the world. Actually, I don't even like half these people in this lunchroom anyway because they're not likable. You know what? I'm just going to be a jock. I think, you know what? I'm just going to pursue architecture. I, I can't do this. Right? What would happen to mankind if Jesus went, I don't know what my identity really is, or if this is who God says I am, but I just want to be accepted. And he exchanged his real identity for something else. Do you realize that you're faced with the exact same thing? You are making decisions that you're actually exchanging your identity of who God says you are and how he sees you in light of just falling, being more accepted, to feel like you fit in, to feel like you belong, to feel like you're seen and loved and known. That's why, guys, DSM should be a place where every student feels that when they walk in through the door, where they do feel loved, they do feel seen, they do feel known. The last thing I ever want to see in this youth group is a student sitting by themselves or standing against the wall by themselves. I hate that so much because that's what the world looks like. This is church, and we belong to Jesus, and Jesus goes to that kid, and I love that kid. So I'm just glad that Jesus didn't go. I'm tired of being Jesus. He could have done that, though, but Jesus shows us that the only way to discover what you were made for is to ask the one who made you. Does that make sense? So we're going to our friends, we're going to our counselors at school and our parents, and those are great voices most of the time to listen to. But if you don't go to Jesus and say, God, you made me, then what did you make me for? If we're not constantly making that the main thing that we're asking of God, other voices will come into your life that are even well-meaning. And they will tell you what they think you should be based upon what they see. And that may be how God in some cases actually speaks to you. But you need to always go back to the source of where it came from. And it's got to go back to God. Because God is the one who has defined you and has set you apart for a very specific goal and a very specific purpose and an identity. It starts with understanding who you are. You see, Jesus, he didn't exchange his identity to become something else. As a matter of fact, this is what he says in Scripture. He says, I tell you the truth. The Son of Man can do nothing of himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son does also. He's saying, God's my identity. The Father is my identity. So whatever he wants me to do, I'm going to do. He wasn't trying to be something other than what he was. But what was Jesus' identity? 700 years before he took his first breath as a baby here on earth, 
Listen to what his identity and his purpose was. It was predetermined. Everybody say predetermined. Your status and identity has also been predetermined in the exact same way that Jesus' was. This is Jesus' identity. Check it out. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government's going to rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. This is his identity. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all of eternity. This is Jesus' identity. Pre-planned before he was born. Jesus predestined you with a plan and a purpose thousands of years before you ever showed up here. You matter and your identity matters because it makes a difference in this world. And we find out that the passionate commitment of the Lord's heaven's armies will make this happen. When God looks at you, he he has the same passionate commitment to make sure that you live out your identity as Jesus's. Does that blow your mind? It blows mine. So my point is, is your purpose, your identity is crystal clear. God loves you and has a plan for your life. And once Jesus became a man, though, he needed to be affirmed. His identity needed to be affirmed. So check out what happens. In Luke, it says, after all the people were baptized, Jesus was baptized. And as he was praying, the sky opened up with the Holy Spirit like a dove, descending down and came on him. And all all along with the Spirit... A voice said this, you are my son chosen, marked by my love. You are the pride of my life. You know what God is doing in this moment for his son? Saying, I am well pleased with you. This is your identity and your identity is that I love you, son. Jesus needed to be affirmed. And I'm here to affirm you tonight because your identity matters. Your identity is like your fingerprints. It's unique to you. And I want you to guard it and I want you to understand it. You see, God says when he looks at you, in Scripture, Jeremiah 1.5 says, before I formed you in the womb, what does God say? He says, I, I knew you. Is that verse up there? What, God is saying this to you. He says, hey, here's my valentine to you tonight. Before... I formed you in the womb. I what? I knew you before you were born. I set you apart. That means that you have been set apart. God knows exactly who he made you to be, and he knows exactly what he wants to do in your life and through you. You're not an accident. If he can take a weird little seventh grade boy who pretends he's playing in front of 10,000 hot girls as a rock star and somehow makes something out of that, which may be debatable to some, but I'm doing the best I can, he's, he's, he's got you. But the world wants to put labels on you, man. Everybody say labels. You see, there's a story I'm going to share with you really quickly there was a group of teenage boys that had been basically not kidnapped, but taken out of their context. Their, their homeland has been invaded by this king, and the king came in and just kind of took over everything. This place happens to be Jerusalem, and there's three, there's actually four teenage boys, and uh, historians say they're probably 14 to 15 years old, so they would come to DSM. 14 to 15-year-old boys, and what happens is, is they're taken over, and this king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, everybody say Nebuchadnezzar, (laughs) he's kind of, he's this ungodly pagan ruler, and he's now calling the shots. Scripture says that he was actually the most powerful ruler on planet earth at this time. 
So imagine that. So the, these young men, they get hijacked and put into his kingdom to serve him. And so where the hotbed is, is actually it's Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq, okay, just to kind of help you understand where this place is at. But in this process, he takes, we're going to talk about three of them tonight. He takes these 14, 15-year-old boys, and he takes them, and their true identities, their names when they showed up, this is what they would write on the parent release form. This is their name, Hananiah. His name means God is gracious. Mishael, God is powerful. Azariah, his name means helped by God. Do you see how their names identified who they were and they reflected characteristics and facets of God's nature? Beautiful. But this pagan king, the strongest force on planet earth at this point, you know what he does? He renames them. And he goes, you will no longer be called by those names. I will name you. So listen to what their identity is now. Shadrach, which means commanded by Aku, which is a god. It's a pagan god, moon god. Meshach's name is now meaning Aku is powerful. No longer it's God is powerful. Aku is powerful. Abednego means servant of Nebo. That's the Babylonian god of wisdom. And I share this with you students tonight because if you don't know what your true identity is, the world will give you one. You're going to have an identity one way or the other, guys. It might as well be the one who designed you and formed you and knew you before you were even in your mother's womb. Let him give you the name. Let him give you the identity because if you don't, someone else will. This leader has renamed these young men. And what we're about to see is that even though, everybody say even though. You see, I have labels put on me, but I know who I am. You see what I'm saying? I have people say things about me, and I go, that's their problem and not mine because I know who I am. You see, you see this really, really matters. And so what we're going to find is that even though this pagan leader of the world has tried to reassign their identity by giving them a new name because they know who they really are, they're going to stand. Everybody say stand. Y'all ready for a little story time with Dave? I love, I love story time with Dave. I'm a big fan of my own stories. Daniel 3.5, let me just start here. I got a lot to share with you. Listen to this story. He comes up with this rule and this idea. He wakes up one morning and goes, you know what? I want a 90-foot statue built of me. Ego, right? And he's like, when the music comes on, I want everybody to bow down and worship this thing. Now, some of you church kids know this story, but this isn't, listen to it for yourself. And I want you to be inspired tonight. So he puts this law in saying, hey, you got to worship when the music turns on. He says, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zyre, blah, 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 all the other musical instruments bow to the ground and worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Here's the rule. Anyone who refuses to obey it will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. All right. Verse 7. So at the sound of the musical instruments, the, the band starts up. The click track is going. They're ready to go. All the people, everybody say all the people. Whatever their race, whatever their nation, whatever their language, this guy's got power. And they all bowed to the ground and worshiped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. You notice it says all the people, right? Because this is what everyone's friends and family said was acceptable and normal to do. Okay? 
even though it was breaking some of God's laws. And all of a sudden, literally everyone and their grandmother is bowing down to this thing, saying this is normal and acceptable. Can I ask you a question? In your world, what are you seeing on the north end of town that parents and students and your peers are bowing to? In your world, what do you see them truly bowing to? I've been here about two years, and what I have found is that none of these things are necessarily bad in and of themselves. But I have observed that I see a lot of parents and students bowing to their careers, bowing to academics, bowing to sports, bowing to popularity. I have to say that because these are perceived as good things, and they are. But the God or the gods that get the best of your time, talent, and treasure are the things that you truly worship, students. If God gets the afterthought of your worship, and when I say worship, your heart, your efforts, your energy, if he gets the leftovers, but there's another ruler saying, you must bow. You don't have time for a quiet time in the morning. No way. You need to get out on the field. No, you must bow. I know that you haven't been in church for a month, but you, now please hear me, guys. Please hear me. This is not to dog you guys. Be responsible. Do the right thing. But my point is, is that when we get into the habit of going, I really love God, but I've got to bow to this one over here because this is the one that's going to get me the scholarship, there's something messed up about that. I'm just being honest. Now, there's seasons. Everybody say seasons. I was driving here saying, Lord, I don't, want to be, I don't want to be harsh. I just feel like this is what God wants me to tell you, though. So put it into balance. That's all I'm trying to say. Pursue those things. Do well at those things. Excel at those things. But don't do it at the expense of fear or, or motivated by fear or at the expense of your relationship with God. That's all I'm saying. There's only one God that we should be bowing to. But if there's another ruler in your life truly calling the shots and God gets what's left over, it's disproportionate. You see what I'm saying? It's about proportion. Everybody say proportion. So knowing your true identity in Christ produces the courage for you to stand when others bow is why I'm trying to bring this up. Because everyone around you is bowing to a God. Some are bowing to God, G, capital G-O-D, but many are bowing to God's small case G-O-D. In this story, while the culture is bowing to God, there happens to be three teenagers, though, who are still standing. It's easy to stand out when everyone else is bowing and you're not. So the world will quickly understand what side you're on. This is a risky thing to do because they know they're going to be burned alive by doing this. And these are teenagers your age. Why? Why would they do that? Because they knew who they were because they knew who God was. So his advisors see these three pimple-faced, probably ninth grade boys standing there going, we're not, we're not going to bow to that thing, right? And so his advisors go and they say, Oh, listen, oh, no, you didn't, right? So they go and they tell King Nebuchadnezzar, hey, there's some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you've put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. The Neb says, oh, no, they didn't. 
And then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage, and he ordered that the, these three guys be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you, reser- you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I set up? What's wrong with you idiots? He says, I'm going to give you one more chance because y'all are dumb. To bow down and worship the statue I've made for you when you hear the music... I want you to bow, but if you refuse, I'm going to throw you immediately into the blazing furnace. And this is what he says. And then, what God is going to be able to rescue you from my power? Do you hear the threat in that? In other words, for us, if you don't excel here, if you don't sacrifice your time with God here, if you, you, know, if you, if you don't compromise uh, with your friends here, if God can't help you get that scholarship there, what God would be able to provide these things for you if you don't play the game? That's what he's trying to say here. What God can make you successful apart from the system? What God can keep you from feeling lonely? This is what you're hearing in your world today. But God explains in his word, he says, listen, great kingdoms are going to come and go. Governments will rise and fall, but there's only one kingdom, one government that will stand forever, students. And that kingdom is the kingdom of Jesus, who is the Savior, and he is the ruler of this kingdom. Scripture says, this is what the Lord says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Could you build a temple for me as good as that? Could you build such a resting place? He says, my hands have made both heaven and earth and everything in them are mine. I, the Lord, have spoken. So there's a system, there is a ruler who seems to be calling the shots in the story. There's a ruler and there is someone who seems to be in power in your life and in my life saying, this is what you got to bow to to be successful. And God is saying, no, actually, I'm the one calling the shots. That's my son. That's my daughter. If they know who they are, they'll be able to oppose that system and be able to live out their purpose without someone else assigning it to them. Does it make sense? This side's clearly more spiritual. Great, let's go. Just kidding. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves to you. (laughs) We appreciate your power. Ah, We don't have to defend ourselves. They said, if we are actually thrown into the blazing furnace, guys, these are 13, 14, 15-year-old boys. If we're thrown into this blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power Your majesty. I could just smell the sarcasm. Jesus says, if you cling to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you let go of your life, you're going to save it. And we see this being played out in these teenagers. God is so good. They tell the king, but even if God doesn't rescue us, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. Let it just go on record. We ain't doing that. Even if God lets us burn alive, that's the last thing we'll be doing is worshiping your God. And I think that fires us up because we like the idea of going, that's right. I'm going to stand before that ruler. I'm going to let him know what's up. But then I had to stop and think, And I'm afraid that too many students want to set the world on fire, but they're not willing to stand in the fire. I really, that's my concern. Because a lot of guys like me go, you guys are world changers. And the students go, yes, I am. It's going to cost you something. Oh, never mind. I have practice on Thursdays. You see what I'm saying? 
I'm not asking you all to be idiots, but what I am asking you to understand is the order of things here. There is a power at work in our world today that wants to enslave people and so that they never understand their identity. And I'm preaching this message to bring a spirit of light and truth to help you understand it doesn't have to be that way. There is another way to live. In order to discover your identity, though, to walk in the purpose that God has for you, you have to first stop being in love with your idea of you, though. Okay? Because we all have dreams. I loved the idea of me being on a stage behind a drum kit playing for thousands and thousands of people and making my living. That dream didn't die. I actually wound up doing that, not on that scale, but I became a professional musician with my wife for like 10 years. I was pursuing the dream. And I would tell people I'm living the dream. But then I realized it wasn't the dream. I didn't know my identity. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with what these guys had to say, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that his face became distorted with rage. I don't even know what that looks like. It's like... I don't know. It's weird. He commanded that the furnace be heated up seven times hotter than usual, and then he ordered some of his strongest men to bind these guys, throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up. They threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames actually killed the soldiers that threw the men in. It's hot. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. And they died that day. You're like, David, (laughs) did you read the whole chapter? (laughs) A pastor once said it this way. He said, stop searching for a faith that will keep you from the fire. And start embracing the God that will be with you in the fire. There's going to be times, guys. There's going to be times that you're going to be in discomfort for standing up for your identity in Christ. So this is not for the faint of heart. But if these knuckle-headed teenagers can do it, and the same spirit that was in them that gave them the guts to when the time came to be able to do that, you're going to have the same grace in those moments to take a stand, provided you understand, you don't bow. Suddenly, everybody say suddenly. Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, hold on. Didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty. We certainly did. But he says, look, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire unharmed. And it's weird because that fourth one looks like a god. Nebi is doing some math. He's going, we threw three in, there's now four. What's going on? Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the flaming furnace. And he shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out, come here. So they stepped out of the fire, and then the high officers and the officials and the governor's advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed. That wouldn't have been that big of a miracle because I have none on my head. But they had hair, and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell like smoke. Then Nebuchadnezzar says, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command, and they were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Therefore, I make a new decree. If any people, whatever their race, nation, language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn from limb to limb. He doesn't understand the message of grace yet, okay? And their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. Guys, here's the good news. 
that God that did that for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is the very same God that is present in this room, knocking on the door of your heart saying, will you bow to me? It's the very same one. My point is this. Those who know their true identity will be willing to die for something rather than live for nothing. Don't you want your life to count? Let it count for what it was created to count for. Only God has the ultimate right to tell you who you are. And so one of the things that Nikki mentioned as we talk about identity, I was thinking about social media, and I'm a fan of it, and I'm on there, and you can follow me at at RealDavidMartin because my ego needs more followers. But here's the thing. I think social media has been misnamed. I really think that if we could all go back to the drawing board, when it first started coming out, we don't call it social media. We call it, am I valuable? I really think you have to say it just like that. I think that's what social media should be called. Am I valuable? Because, guys, let's be honest. You open up the app, and you see the little bubble that means you got comments on a post. How many of y'all get that little bit of a high? I do. I'm like... Am I valuable? <laughs> right? We all struggle with this. We, we want to see how many people have viewed it. We want to see how many people. Dude, and what's happened is too many Christians now have made a persona on social media. And I'm not knocking it. I'm on all of it. But I'm just simply saying if we're not careful, we can create a persona that we like to advertise so that people will like what they see and think that that is our lives. We all know social media is just a highlight reel, man. And in half the time, it took 41 takes just to get that funny, spontaneous Insta story. You want, can I tell on us? So if you're on DSM's Instagram... We got these new signs that we're holding for people as they come in because we want you to make you feel welcome. Well, I came walking out of Nikki's office and Abe has got there. He's like, dude, look at this. And it was a sign that says, oh, we've been waiting for you. And it's Wednesday. It's, you know, Camel Day, whatever. And I was looking. I was like, oh, my gosh, those are amazing. That is so cool. And I was like, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. All right, all right, all right. All right, Nikki's like, okay, I'm going to go back in the office, and then I'm going to act like I just saw them with you for the first time and act surprised. I was like, yeah, that's good. Oh, smoke and mirrors, kids. That was not spontaneous whatsoever. We do this. We all do this. So here's what we're going to challenge you to do. I really want you to take to heart what I just shared with you tonight. And so what I want you to do is I want you to begin to listen to a new voice for the next three days, okay? That's all I'm asking. And I, I would challenge you guys to go dark. Let's unplug from social media for three days, 72 hours. And use that time to remember or discover who we are and our identity because it matters. But maybe you're like, where do I start? Pull out your phones really quickly as Nikki comes up. I'm going to give you these. I'm going to read these passages to you, but I want you to put them in your phone, and I want you to look them up on your own time during the next 72 hours. Everybody say 72 hours. As you unplug from this thing called, am I valuable, I want you to understand, and I want every student on the screen looking at the screen as you, if you're not putting the references in, I want to speak your identity over you as your shepherd and as your pastor in the name of Jesus I want you to hear this. This is true whether you feel like it or not. So then, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
What is old has passed away. Look what is new and has come. God made the one who did not know sin to be the sin for us so that in him we could become the righteousness of God. So students, guess what? If you've put your faith in Jesus, you are 100% righteous before God right now. And if you understood that, you would make choices that weren't unrighteous. They would be righteous instead of unrighteous. I think I was just encouraging you to sin right there by accident. Here's another one. So that's 2 Corinthians 5.17, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Listen to this, Ephesians 1.4. For he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. That we may be holy and unblemished in his sight and in his love. Before the world was even the world, God knew you. And he chose you. He knows your identity and he knows your purpose. He made you. Ask him and be patient and let him unfold the story he's writing in your life. Last one, Ephesians 5, 8 through 10. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light because that's who we are. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. So students, so DSM, so people listening on podcasts, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. What pleases the Lord is a humble and contrite heart that bows their knee before the true and living God because his kingdom will have no end. Nebuchadnezzar isn't in charge anymore. I don't know if you knew that. As powerful as he was, nothing could withstand against the kingdom of God. Choose a kingdom worth worshiping because that's who you are. And so when God said to Jesus, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, because Jesus lives in you students, God looks at you and he goes, this is my son, this is my daughter. I am well pleased with you. God loves you. He has given you a name. And the bearers of God's name says, holy, righteous. It's a banner over your head. These are your names. Perfect, eternally loved, forgiven, liberated, son, daughter of the Most High God.